And we thank you, Lord, for an open heaven, your presence here. You alone, Lord, are worthy of all the glory. There's none like you. We praise you. And Lord, I just thank you tonight for your precious Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us. Everybody that's going to be hearing this or watching this, I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit moving upon us to help us to be good soil of hearts and minds and lives that are ready to receive the word, parable of the seed and sower. We don't need to be rocky soil. But Lord, let, let the word of God be sown tonight, the true word that you speak to me, everything that needs to be said. Under a mighty, mighty anointing, it'll be seeds of life and truth, revelation, sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, I thank you for your word going out as light, piercing through the darkness, driving away all the darkness. And Lord, let, let there be the washing of the water of the word, and help us, Lord, have eyes and ears to see and hear what you're saying. And I thank you, Lord, for everything said and everything accomplished in and through this time that you will be done. We thank you for the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing this out to every nation, tribe, and tongue, everywhere it needs to get. And it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight we'll get into the Word. Um, so I'm continuing this series, Paranormal, and we're going to look at, I know that we started out 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And that the Spirit says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So we talked about how in the last days, there's going to be an increase of supernatural activity, both good and bad. So in dealing with this series, I do believe this is something that a lot of places won't talk about. And so that's one of the reasons why I feel God put on my heart to talk about it, because people have questions. And people want to know, because many people do know that there's strange paranormal activity sometimes, and, and they want to know, well, what does the Bible say about that? You know, what, what, what is the actual truth? What does God's Word say? Because a lot of times there's all these strange beliefs that are floating out there, and, and, and people don't know what to believe, unless the church rises up and teaches what God has to say, amen? And then it, then it clears it up. So that's kind of what we're doing tonight and have been doing in this series, and I'll probably do a sermon or two after this. But tonight we're going to deal with territorial rights. And in this, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 18, and I'm just going to start with verse 24 and go from there, okay? But I want you to really pay attention to these words. So everybody, please follow along, but really pay attention because this is going to kind of set our teeth in where we're going. But it says, do not defile yourselves by any of these things. Now, before that, it was talking about various types of sins. But it says, do not defile yourself. Did you know that you can defile yourself? And then it says, for by all these things, the nations which I'm driving out from before you, they have defiled themselves. You see, did you know that nations can defile themselves? Did you all hear what I said? A person can defile themselves, but a nation can defile itself. And then it said, now it's talking about Israel going into the land of Canaan, and it's saying that the people there have defiled themselves, all right? Then it goes on to say, for the land has become defiled. Did you know that land can be defiled? Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it. So that's why God was sending in Joshua to execute his judgment, to drive out the inhabitants because they themselves have defiled themselves, defiled the land. And so he says, I'm bringing my punishment. 
So the land has vomited out its inhabitants. Did everybody see that? Did you know that land can vomit out its inhabitants? And I'm going to show you how that works as we go. In verse 26, but as for you, now this is the opposite. Now God was saying this is what they've defiled themselves, but as for you, he says, I want you to do the opposite of that. And this is what he says, you're to keep my statutes, my judgments. And you shall, you shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native, the stranger who resides among you. For the people of the land that you were there before you, you uh, they did these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not vomit you out, as has vomited out the nation which was there before you. So God was saying here that to not be defiled, we have to obey his word and do what he says. So if you read this in context, which I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you read like Leviticus, like 16, 17, 18, 19, and kind of read the whole thing in context, and you also draw from other places in the scriptures, you can see that there's some basic understanding of certain types of sins that will open the land up to problems and will defile the land and cause the land to vomit out its inhabitants. Now, I'm not saying this is exhaustive, but these are the three that you can see very clearly in Scripture. And the first one is this, idolatry. So let's talk about these things just for a moment. We have to be careful because I'm talking to the people that um, I believe, for, by and large, are God's people that listen to these, but we need to be careful. Yes, idolatry is graven images, for sure. I mean, you build graven images, you bow down and worship it. Uh, no doubt about that. But idolatry can be a lot of things. See, here's what God wants. God wants that our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything about us, that we have put him first in our lives and that our affections, our desires are first and foremost on him. Did everybody see that? You know, Steve Hill used to say, God wants your whole life or nothing at all. I, I can't argue with that. Because God is not interested in, in just half of you. He wants our whole, all of our affections. He's a jealous God. So we need to put him first. But see, when people begin to have all these other things that they have their affections on, it could be uh, making money. It could be advancing in career. It could be uh, sexual relationships. It could be all kinds of different things, material things, certain things that people have uh, put too much of a focus in their life. Too, their affections are too much on that. God doesn't want anything that would e eclipse our devotion to him or be alongside him. So if we, we worship him, but we also have these things, these idols, we're kind of sharing our heart with him and these other things. And so idolatry can take many forms. I mean, literally, it could be anything. And then also, not only idolatry, but in that you see also the worship of other gods. Well, this is obviously a part of the Canaanite problem that was there. They had their temples to other gods. They have their idols to those gods, and they worship those other gods. And that defiled them, and it defiled the land. And also, I would add under this category, the occult. I've dealt with a lot of this already, 
I personally believe the occult was the religion of the pre-flood world that the Nephilim filled the earth. I believe that that was basically the worldwide religion that they had, in my opinion. And the, basically the world of that time was in bondage to witchcraft, and God stepped down and sent the flood and cleaned house. But the occult, be careful, because the occult is very serious. There is a really deep, dark, thick darkness in, in the occult. And people open themselves up to things. The occult, obviously, I've dealt with this, but just in passing, I'll mention witchcraft and then divination, which is uh, seeking information from basically from demons, even though people don't think it is, and sorcery and necromancy, which is trying to consult the dead. So these things, idolatry, the worship of other gods, and the occult, those that category right there, that defiles people, it defiles nations, and it defiles the land. Another category is sexual immorality and perversions. And when you read this, Leviticus chapter 18, there's a lot mentioned about sexual immorality. The only sex that God has sanctioned is between a husband and wife in marriage. Society has already changed that, and people reject that. But how many knows God never changes his mind, and that's just the way it is? The book of Hebrews says marriage is to be honored by all in the marriage bed undefiled. God will never change that. He'll never compromise that for anybody. So any sex outside of marriage, any adulterous affair, and then you move into the realm, and he talks, the Bible talks about this, Leviticus chapter 18, of sexual perversions. These would be unnatural sexual desires that shouldn't be there. Maybe pedophilia, homosexual desires, incest, rape, things like that are really grotesque, bestiality, whatever. But these type of sexual perversions that should not be there... The Bible shows that sexual immorality defiles the person, and it can defile a nation, and it defiles the land. Y'all following me? And then the third category would be shedding blood. God has always taken this very seriously. I mean, there's warnings in the scriptures about these things. It's not like uh, we're not warned clearly in the word. I mean, you can see... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment when it comes to sexual immorality and other things that they had going on in that nation. But anyway, shedding blood. Did you know that God took this so seriously that in the book of Deuteronomy, if there was a man found murdered in a field, the nearest city, the elders had to go out to that man and they had to kill a heifer and the blood of that animal had to be shed there and they had to hold their hands out while somebody poured water over their hands, running water, and they had to ask God's forgiveness and say, Lord, we do not know who killed this person. We have no knowledge because it was a capital offense. If they knew, they had to execute him. We don't know who shed this blood, but don't hold us accountable. Did you know when they did that, God would remit the sin of the blood off that city? But God took it that seriously that they had to do that. Or the blood of that man would be on the nearest city. Why do you think that Caesar, whenever he was uh, 
Jesus was on trial. Remember, and Jesus was, was whipped and all that. You remember how he washed his hands and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Do you remember that? He had read the book, you know, first five books of the Bible because he had to judge Israel. So he knew this. And so shedding innocent blood is very serious. And God has always taken it very seriously. And so people that are involved in bloodshed, it defiles them, it defiles a nation, and it defiles the land. You remember when God asked Cain where your brother is, and he said, I don't know, but God said, is not his blood crying out from the ground? So this is very serious. So all of the abortions, all of the shedding of innocent blood that's been going on, this is something that defiles people and defiles the land. And also the Bible strictly forbids any type of drinking blood. Obviously, I think most everybody knows that. But these are serious things that defile people. And I know this is of a concern to you as it is to me, but I'm seeing in, in America over the last couple of decades how America has, has walked away in many ways from our Judeo-Christian heritage. And you see more and more of these things coming up in our culture and more widely accepted. Why? Because people are getting away from God, His Word, and obviously the Son of God. So these things, it's no accident. Let me say this too. It's no accident that Satan has got his, his servants. Many times this would be in secret. It's clandestine under the cover of night. But it's no accident that Satan's servants who participate in satanic rituals, look at this. Witchcraft and the occult is prevalent. Sexual immorality is involved in these rituals and bloodshed. Do you see that? It's no accident that these things are happening because the enemy knows that there's an evil power that is allowed to take place through that activity. All right, now I'm going to show you some things. This is just kind of, as I'm starting to move to close out this series, I just wanted to give you guys some things to think about. Satan always counterfeits things that are of God, okay? Have you ever thought about that? Satan is a fallen angel, a cherubim, but did you know that when God made man in his image, man, we have a creative nature about us. We have an imagination, but angels don't seem to have that. So Satan is not somebody that's creative. He just takes the things of God, and then he perverts them. So here's some things that I just thought I would give you to think about. All right, some of Satan's counterfeits. See, when we, the Bible talks about when Jesus told Nathaniel, he said, I see Nathaniel, I see um, that you were under that tree. And Nathaniel said, whoa, you must be the son of God. He said, you believe me just because I saw you under a tree? And Jesus said, I tell you what, you're going to see a lot greater things than that, me having like a word of knowledge or something. He said, no, you're going to see the heavens open over me and angels ascending and descending. So we know in the scripture that there's such thing as an open heaven. You know what that means? It means that because there's no sin, that Satan's kingdom is not able to come up over and brass the heavens over a person and oppress them. Jesus lived where the princes and powers had to be parted like this, and he had free access to his father. But when people get into sin principalities and powers kind of come over like this and they begin to oppress, okay? So what we're after 
is through persistent prayer and fasting and deep repentance that we see the heavens open up over areas. How many knows that there is definitely an open heaven over this church? I can come in here at any time and pray, and it's just an open heaven. It's free. There's nothing overhead. You know why? Because sin is not in the camp, you see. But if we started letting all kinds of abominations and evil things go on here, it wouldn't take but just a very quick amount of time till the prevailing princes and powers over Dallas begin to brass the heavens, and people come in here, it'd be difficult to worship and difficult to pray. So just like we want an open heaven, Satan wants the heavens brassed over up here, but you know what he wants? He wants the gates of hell open, so to speak. He wants like an open hell where things can freely come up and begin to oppress. Let me give you some other counterfeits of the enemy. We all know it's really common knowledge, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Did you know there's some, some kind of a satanic armor, like a counterfeit? Now, I'm just going to give this to you just to think about, okay? But just like we have a helmet of salvation, which has a lot to do with humility, um, Satan's armor is a helmet of pride. And that helmet of pride over people, the pride of life, this arrogance there, this pride, it causes, because as a man thinks, so he is, and what, you know, what's in the heart comes out, you know, it causes, pride will cause people to have unrighteous judgment and criticism of others. It, it affects, that helmet of pride affects their eyes, that they, they look with judging and criticizing. So Jesus said, don't do that. Don't judge people like that. But there's people that just really are in bondage to that. And also their mouth speak, speaks forth all kinds of lies and blasphemies. Because of a helmet of pride, their mouth speaks all kinds of lies and blasphemies out of it. So number one is the helmet of pride. Number two is the breastplate of unrighteousness. Just like we have a breastplate of righteousness, you know what that means? That means that I am safe and secure in the fact that I have confessed and repented of my sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive me for all my sins and cleanse me from all righteousness. So therefore, my heart is secure that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So the enemy cannot torment my heart. But see, the breastplate of unrighteousness is people that love wickedness. Their hearts are set on wickedness then just like we have a belt of truth holding all things together, we have to know the word. You see, the belt of truth is connected to knowledge of the word. We know his word. Therefore, that belt kind of holds everything else together. Um, in the same way, the enemy has a belt of deception. And people have all kinds of belief systems, whether it be atheism or different religions or whatever, they have all these belief systems, and it's like a belt of deception in their life that kind of holds all the other armament together. Also, we have shoes of peace. You know, the, the Bible says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, but I'm going to tell you, we better walk in peace. We better walk in unforgiveness. We better not be a people that just fly off the handle and lose our temper and blow up in rages. Because that gives place to the devil, doesn't it? But we got to be people that walk in peace. We should be able to walk into tense situations where people are fighting and help calm that down. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. See? So there's something about our walk in peace, right? Well, Satan's armament is boots of anger. Have you ever known people that walk in and there can already be tension, but when they walk in, it's just going to explode. They just, they walk in that. They walk in anger and they stir up conflict. That's just what they do. Also, just like we have a shield of faith, the enemy has a counterfeit to that, which is some kind of a shield of unbelief. And this shield of unbelief causes people to not be able to really receive the gospel like they should. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he strongly rebuked some cities. And he said that, I did all these miracles in you, yet you will not believe. He said, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on judgment day than you because of your unbelief. Let me tell you something. There's people out there that this shield of unbelief is so strong in their life that Jesus could raise the dead right in front of them and they'll just say the person was never dead to begin with. It doesn't matter what God does, they will never believe. Just like we have the sword of God's word, the enemy has an evil sword of criticism. There are certain people, especially that have a religious spirit, that they're very critical. They're always finding some kind of fault in other Christians and pastors and churches and ministries. They just can't help it. They just, that's just the way they are. They have a religious spirit. And because of their unrighteous judgment and criticism, they operate like a sword, a crooked sword of criticism. And let me tell you this, too, along these lines. There are some people that they, they have kind of so-called ministries, as they call it, but you better really watch out for these people because their so-called ministry is only destroying other Christians they don't agree with. And let me tell you something. What does the Bible say about Satan? He comes to what? Steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Their ministry is satanic. It's not of Christ. They're a ministry of destruction. And they operate through lies and gossip and exaggeration. Anybody they don't agree with, they try to build some kind of case against them and they start preaching or making videos or whatever to try to destroy them. That's satanic. Be careful that you do not have anything to do with those type of people. And finally, it's an occult cloak. It's like I believe that there's some kind of, on God's true people, there's some kind of a light, like a glory, that we walk in the light as he's in the light. There's some kind of a shining. If we could see in the spirit realm, um, the way angels and demons see, <laughs> I believe that there would be some kind of a shining on God's true remnant people. But there's also some kind of a darkness, like a shroud of death and darkness that shrouds Satan's people like an armor. And they're in some kind of a occult cloak, the word occult means hidden, but basically I'm talking about some kind of shroud of darkness. And what does the Bible say? It says that we're children of the light, but there are children of the darkness. And they walk in darkness. Now, this is just my opinion, the way I see it, but Satan has an armament. And that's why it's so important, though, that we pray. 
Because the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds. How many knows that, that when we go out witnessing, you understand, you're going on the front lines and it is war. These people don't realize it, but many of them have this armament on their life and they are clueless to that fact. And they're in bondage to the enemy. And it's going to take, Jesus said, that the, the strong man must be bound and then you can plunder his goods. So it's important that before we go out witnessing, that we take time to pray and we bind up the enemy in people's lives so that they're freed up to be able to receive. And let me tell you, because I've done a lot of street evangelism over the last 25 years or so. I've done a lot. And I've been in a lot of places. I've been in some places that probably, quite honestly, were probably pretty dangerous. I've run into Satanists. I've run into everybody you could imagine, gang members. I've been, I've talked to, trust me, I've been in a lot of places. And that's, I think that's what really connected me with Steve Hill. When I first met him, when he came to Dallas, I, somehow I found a great favor with him, but I believe it was because of my heart for street evangelism. But he really took me under his wing after that. And we spent some time together, but he sent me out. He really loved that. He loved the evangelism. Steve, I just honor Steve Hill. He had such a love for souls. And I just love that about his life so much. But anyway, in those places, and here's the crazy thing, places I've gone. I, I've gone up to people. I'll never forget the story. And Brother Zach was with me. And we were at some, like, I don't know, some kind of one of those dart train type stations or something. And there was this guy, he was leaning up against the wall, and I felt led to go talk to him. This guy, he looked dangerous. He looked like full of tattoos and just, he looked dangerous, you know. And I remember Brother Zach was kind of looking at me like, you sure we need to go bug this guy, you know. I said, I feel led to talk to him. So I go up and start talking to him. Do you know that the guy, he just got out of prison, he was involved in gangs and all that stuff, but you know that he was the nicest guy and really listened to me as I gave him the gospel. But I've gone up to people, uh, sweet little grandmas that you thought were just the nicest people, you know. You, you just talk to gang member guy, right? And then you go up this old lady, you think, oh, this lady, you go up, this is going to be easy. Now you get up there and she blows up in a rage and cusses you out like a sailor. I've seen it. It's happened to me. I, I've gone into places and I thought, you know, just witnessing the people, and this type of stuff has happened. I'm not exaggerating. Like in that Panda Express, is that the name of that place? Okay, I was in there one time getting some Chinese food. And I, I was in this guy, and I started talking to him. As soon as I mentioned Jesus, this guy went berserk. I mean, he just, it like, manifested. And he started screaming, acting all crazy, getting loud, and just fidgeting around and stuff. And I just shook my head and walked off. I've seen stuff like that a number of times. So you know what that is? There's some kind of a satanic armament. They're, they obviously have spirits that are not of Christ's kingdom at work in their life. And we need to, I learned from all of this experience that it's a war and we need to pray and bind the enemy up in their lives and break the power of that and pray for, here's what I've learned. I'm gonna go ahead and share this. Pray that God, the Holy Spirit, go move on their hearts before you get to them. Pray that the enemy is bound and pray for divine appointments. Because you can go out there and just talk to any random person and it's like sowing seed on rocky soil. But whenever you really pray and believe,
for divine appointments, then they're going to be prepared. Doesn't mean that they're always going to be receptive, but, but it's still a divine appointment. God wants everybody to have an opportunity, and some people will be given an opportunity. They'll reject it, and they'll be in hell, but it was our responsibility to still give them the opportunity. So there's a battle. Also, just like we have a fivefold ministry, we have apostles. Apostles are very fathering. It's like reproducing what they have with God in others, pioneering, breaking up open new territory, uh, building something that wasn't there, that type of thing, apostolic. We have prophets. We have evangelists that go into uh, territories of darkness to win souls. And, of course, we have pastors and teachers. But Satan has a counterfeit to this that will play on the flesh. He has satanic apostles, if you will, that will go into territory. Maybe they're entertainers. Maybe they're musicians. But they will go into territory and kind of break it open, but they're being used of the devil under a satanic anointing that to bring something there that's not of God. Did you know that the devil has his evangelists? I remember back, this is common even today. How many of you guys, at least, I think some people will, will know what I'm talking about in the sound of my voice. How many of you guys have just simply seen out there that some of these uh, groups, whether it's uh, pop or whether it's rock or whatever, but some of them, they're doing these shows, but it's obvious that it's some kind of bizarre satanic thing, some kind of bizarre satanic... You're going, that looks like a witchcraft ritual. Now, understand, somebody, somebody came up with that. They just didn't come out there and that just happened. No, no, somebody choreographed that. It was by design. How many knows the devil has his evangelist? that's trying to get that out to the younger generation that maybe have never been exposed to it, expose them to it, and trying to draw them into it. And I, I can't help but think about, you know, back in the 80s, there was a, this is probably when a lot of this really began to happen with some of the satanic uh, heavy metal bands of that time. But there was a band that was having the audience chant Natas, Natas, and that's Satan backward. They actually had altar calls for young people to come down and give their life to Satan. And they did. Young people did. You know, I'll tell you something. A lot of times when people also go to various concerts and things, they, they've been doing recreational drugs and or drinking, and so they're already in a vulnerable state spiritually. And then what's being released, it affects people. So Satan kind of has his different fivefold ministry, if you will, that is breaking into new ground. It's opening people up. It's drawing people in. Um, anyway, and then also, look at this. Satan, just like we have true prophets, Satan has his psychics and his clairvoyance, his fortune tellers. And just like we have worship and we have praying in the spirit, we have uh, the gift of tongues, uh, etc. Satan has his counterfeit with incantations and chanting. Are y'all following me tonight? You know, do you remember the story when the apostle Paul was being used of God in Acts chapter 19 and began to really see revival? And in this move of God for two years, all these people were getting saved. 
and there was so much activity. And in that, handkerchiefs and aprons and such that were brought to Paul that he prayed over whatever was sent back out, and there was all kinds of healings and miracles that took place. Did you know that Satan has counterfeit to that? He has objects that can have a satanic anointing on them and be charged, if you will, and it has like a satanic power to it, okay? So be careful with these occult objects and occult books and things, I'll get into this later, but things that you might have in your home. And finally, there can be charged locations. And you know that there's places where God has moved with great power and authority in times past that you can still go to those places and you can still feel the presence of God there. Isn't that something, even though it happened a long time ago, there's still kind of a residue. If God really moved in that place mightily, very powerfully, it's very likely there's still kind of an open heaven and there's still some kind of a residue there. And people sense that. They go there, you can feel that. All right, in the same way, there are satanic locations where maybe there was some kind of a structure that was built in times past where there was different type of evil rituals that were done, maybe even human sacrifice, different things like that. And those places are charged locations that have like a satanic anointing. And you can go there and you can feel the evil. Even though there's nothing going on there now, maybe it happened 563 years ago, but there's still something there until the kingdom, until people of God go there and cleanse it and pray over it. Is this making sense? So Satan has his counterfeits, things that we just simply need to be aware of. Now, here's where I want to go with this before we end it, but just a landscape of your bloodline. So there's a scripture with all of this in mind that I'm talking about, about land being defiled, the land vomiting you out, these different types of counterfeits the enemy has. With all of that in mind, the Bible says if God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he would hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and what heal our land. Okay, have you ever considered, though, that we need to maybe broaden our understanding of the landscape here? You see, all, all of Christianity that we, reads that pretty much sees that as, well, God can heal the landscape of my city or my nation, absolutely. But have you ever considered the landscape of your life and your family bloodline. See, the prophet Daniel, as far as I know, uh, maybe there's something I don't know, but I don't think he had any direct lineage back to like Moses or Aaron or anything priesthood. Maybe he did. Maybe somebody studied this out and found it. But Daniel was a righteous man. And I know the King James says, what the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous uh, availeth much. Well, what that means, the Amplified says it best. The prayers of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And you see that in Daniel chapter 9. The people of God were in captivity in Babylon. It was supposed to come to an end. Daniel prayed and fasted. He just did a partial fasting, but he humbled himself in prayer and fasting. And on behalf of the nation, he went before God and said, Father, forgive us for our sins and the sins of our fathers. We have surely been unfaithful. And he really repented, and God heard, and God began to move things forward. So here's what I'm getting at. People don't realize this, but Isaiah 58, Joel chapter 2, in Joel chapter 2, it says, if God's people will really humble ourselves and pray and fast, listen to the promises here. 
He says, humility, prayer, and fasting, deep repentance. Joel 2 says, I will drive away your enemies. Now, God has to do it. God says, I will drive away that northern army. And then after they're driven away, he said, then I will release to you the grain, new wine, and the oil, the former latter rains. You know what that is? Restoration. He said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And then he says, I will pour out my spirit. Are y'all really following me? Did you know that we can go on, like, for example, your family, say you, your spouse, your kids, and like your family, spiritually speaking, that's the landscape of your family. And you can be like Daniel, and you can put yourself to humility, prayer, and fasting, and deep repentance, representing your family. Lord, we have sinned. We have, we've done this and the other. Forgive us, Lord. And you know what? If, if God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, he will hear, he will forgive, and he will heal the landscape of your family. He can use your prayers to heal the landscape of your family and your bloodline. Did you know that your entire relatives, extended family out there, you're all that are connected to you in your blood, did you know that that's kind of a landscape? And you can go before the Lord the same way and really pray. And Isaiah 58 talks about this humility, prayer, fasting, and really deeply repenting. And it says that in Isaiah 58 that you'll call unto me and I will answer you. You'll cry out to me and I'll say, here I am, nearness. He said that I will make you like a well-watered garden. That, you know what that is? Revival. Refreshing. Revival. And then he says that I will... Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing quickly appear. You know what that is? God arising with healing in his wings. And it's the same concept here, that not only will God hear your prayers, but he can bring healing to the landscape of your entire family, all of your blood, all your relatives. If you'll set yourself like Daniel to be an intercessor, God will hear, he can forgive. See, Daniel was representing the entire nation you can go before God representing your family and say, Lord, we have sinned. Forgive us. Heal the landscape of my family bloodline. Heal, you know, my family, my relatives that are lost. Forgive us, Lord, we have sinned. And I promise you, those type of prayers from the righteous, God hears. And in Isaiah, not only, Isaiah 58, not only do we see in Joel 2, God restoring the years the locusts have eaten, but God will use people of prayer and fasting that through our lives, he wants to rebuild the ancient ruins. You know what that is? The devil at some point came into your family bloodline and destroyed, brought massive destruction. But did you know your prayers can cause now that God will begin to heal that landscape and he will rebuild the ancient ruins? God can do it. And he will do it if we pray and believe. So it's not just the landscape of our city, our nation. Absolutely, that's true. But I want people to, to think about your family. And I want you, us to set ourselves as intercessors on behalf of our families because God can use our prayers to heal that landscape. So there's things that has come into family bloodlines. See, just like land, in the land of Canaan, the people there began to get in idolatry, worship of the gods, practice the occult, all kinds of sexual immorality. The Nephilim were there. 
and it was an evil, dark place. There was bloodshed. And because of that, God said, those people have defiled themselves, the nations there are polluted, and they've defiled the land, and the land itself is going to vomit them out. And I'm going to explain that a little more here in a minute. But he's saying, now, look at this, your family bloodline, at some point, many times, families, the same type of thing. Somebody started doing things that kind of brought in pollution into the family blood. And I wonder, in the same way, have you ever noticed that sometimes families that really have a lot of things in it like that, that that family bloodline becomes so polluted and so tormenting that it's almost like vomiting people out? Have you ever thought about how people just want to get away from each other? I, family alienation. They can't stand to be together. People just sometimes just want to get away from things, get, even just get away from their family, move to a different area. It's like the family bloodline is torn. Here's how this works. Let me explain it. So let's say I'm going to use a house. Let's say that somebody built a house. The house was fine. Everything was normal. But then some occupants came into that house that began to maybe practice the occult. And maybe there was a murder that happened there. Maybe there was rape and incest of, of little children. All these horrible, evil things happened there. Now that home is defiled. And because of that, there's a curse there. And because of that, now there's tormenting evil spirits there. And now for anybody to try to come in and live there, it's like that home is trying to vomit them out. It's tormenting to be there. Unless a Christian comes in and really cleanses it spiritually, drives everything out, it's tormenting. Is this making sense? In the same way, inhabitants of a land, they begin to do all these things. It defiles the land. Now there begins to be curses on the land. Evil spirits begin to traffic through the land. And it becomes to be that it is tormenting to live there. And people just want to leave. And it's like people are being vomited out. In the same way, some family bloodlines can be that way. It can be kind of tormenting because of the generational curses and things that are on that family. Is this making sense? I hope I'm not losing anybody. But listen, that's important concept because in Christ, though we have the ability through his blood and the power of the Holy Spirit to see the change take place in family bloodlines. You know, if, if we have ownership of something, we can come in and cleanse it spiritually, you see. But anyway... Things that have come into family bloodlines, I'm just going to read over this. I don't have time to really get into it tonight. But iniquity. Family bloodlines get polluted with iniquity of pride, rebellion, lusts, idolatry, the occult. Maybe there was bloodshed in that family. Somebody murdered somebody, etc. Uh, sexual immorality and perversions, broken vows and covenants, things like that that defiled the blood. Pretty soon now there's generational curses and spirits. But our prayers are more powerful. God can use the prayers of intercessors. No matter how dark that family is, the power of intercessors can cause God himself to step down and begin to heal the land of that family, bring revival. People will begin to turn to Jesus. They'll repent, and pretty soon there can be healing there in that family, and God can restore those ancient ruins that maybe go back many generations. Same things with cursed land, just some things that can be there. 
Sometimes there's these burial grounds and graveyards and things like that that can be kind of like Indian burial grounds. Have you ever noticed how when Jesus came to the Gadarenes, where was that demon-possessed guy hanging out? He's running around naked in the graveyard. There's some kind of uh, affinity toward these things with these demons. They want to be around death and darkness. And so there can be um, like Indian burial grounds, places like that, these tombs of ancient pharaohs. And there can be places that can be really spiritually kind of charged, you know. Um, ritualistic sites. You can go places where in times past, there was different evil satanic type rituals there, and it can really be cursed and oppressive. I think people have been saved long enough that I can ask this question. How many of you guys have gone somewhere before and you just felt oppressed by being there? You knew something wasn't right, you see. that There's places like that. Also, you know, land where there's been bloodshed, land where there's been sexual immorality, land where there's broken vows and covenants. Do you remember how David which is going along, and all of a sudden, it's like things started drying up. There was a famine. Thing. There started being problems, and David was like, why am I going through this? And God spoke to David and told him, because Saul, you remember Joshua, many years back, had made a covenant with the Gibeonites, remember? And then Saul broke the covenant and didn't honor it. And David had to deal with this mess. David is like, man, there's a famine. There's some kind of an oppression. And God told him, so David had to make that right. And when he did, the famine broke. It began to rain again, and there was prosperity. But places where there's been broken vows and broken covenants, it can be oppressed and injustices. For example, an injustice could be something like where maybe there was vigilante justice, and they grabbed somebody that they thought was guilty, and they hung them on a tree, and they killed them. And it ended up it wasn't that person. That's an injustice. See, that can defile that land. And so there's controversial issues that many times uh, churches won't talk about, but I want you to be aware of it because I believe that if we're aware of it, God can use us to do something about it. See, yes, there's been things here in Dallas. You know, there's been things even that go way back, like we had Kennedy's assassination here. And people that have researched this out have found out that they're actually abortion. Some of that actually started here before it ended up in the Supreme Court. There's different things about this region that if you go back and look into it, you can find things. And it's important that we know because once we know about, that's just a few examples, but I mean, Freemasonry has been something. Most cities all around here were founded, and when they were founded, one of the earliest things that was built there was a Blue Lodge in Freemasonry. And many of the early churches of that time were Baptists, Southern Baptists, or whatever, and many of the pastors and leaders of those churches were Freemasons. Are y'all hearing me? And can you see how that created some kind of a dynamic of stronghold over this region? So when you go back and begin to study territory, you can find what the problem is. And as you begin to pray into that, God can use the prayers of the righteous to help cleanse the land spiritually 
and God himself can come in and heal the land, but we need to know what we're dealing with because there's principles. And some of these controversial issues, many times people won't talk about. Leviticus 14 talked about leprosy in houses. But, you know, people wonder, well, can houses be haunted? Well, yes and no, because they say, well, there's ghosts or they, I don't believe in ghosts. Well, technically, I don't really believe in ghosts either because supposedly there's dead people that their spirits are roaming that house. Give me a break. I don't believe that for a minute, but I'll tell you what I do believe and I know to be a fact. Demons can roam through a house or roam through a building, or roam through this territory if they have a right to do so. But greater is the one that's with us than he that's in the world. But we need to know what we're dealing with. And when you know what you're dealing with, you can come into places and we can really pray and the blood of Jesus can clear away any type of territorial rights the enemy's had and we can send him running. And God also can come in and heal the land. See, our prayers can cause Joel 2. God to drive away our enemies and then restore what the years the locusts have eaten. But we have to know what we're dealing with and cursed objects. And that's kind of what I wanted to close out with. Just be careful because many times unwitting Christians that don't know, they haven't been taught, Deuteronomy 27, 26 rather, that there's things like little idols and trinkets and things associated with the occult or Freemasonry or other religions or or something sexually explicit or whatever, it can open the door for things in your home. Okay, it acts like a lightning rod that draws that in. And you need to just be careful because even things through the computer or television, if it's something that is real satanic or it's something that's sexually explicit, etc., that type of stuff can open a door for those things. So just using wisdom and keep that stuff out. Many people don't know. But there's so much fear that you can't hardly talk about this stuff in a lot of places. But if you'll keep that stuff out of your home, Leviticus chapter 14 talked about leprosy in a home. And what happened was, according to the Jewish Midrash, some Jewish teachings, that when Joshua was coming into the land, the people there would take their silver and gold or whatever, melt it down, and then they would beat it into maybe an image of their demon god that they worshipped, you see. And they were superstitious, but also they didn't want Israel to get their wealth. And so they might bury it down under the house or embed it into a wall. And they believed that somehow maybe that would supernaturally protect their home and also hide their wealth. So even if Israel came in for a time, maybe they could come back after that, drive them back out. They could repossess their home again and get their gold back, you see. But Israel, when they took land and they took houses they didn't build... Wells they didn't dig, vineyards they didn't plant. God said, if I put a spreading leprosy in that house, you better investigate it. Now, if it wasn't a big deal to God, why is it in the Bible in the first place? But he said that whenever you go in, you're going to possess a home. He said, if I put green and red streaks running up that wall, he said, you better go get the priest because there's some kind of a spiritual problem in that home. And the priest would come in and would dig into the wall there. And many times they would find something like an idol in there, you see. And if they didn't, they, they, you know, if they did, they would have to put new stones and replaster. But if it kept reappearing and they couldn't find the problem, then basically they just had to level that home and nobody was going to live there. But God took this very seriously. He did not want his people to live in places that were oppressed and demonized. 
because it can affect people spiritually. And so God told him, if I put that spreading leprosy in, sometimes people come into places, you were not the first occupant there. there there's no telling what else happened there, what type of maybe violence, what type of strange spiritual activity, what type of sexual activity. You don't know what was there. You need to, when you come into places, you really need to pray over that. And we have something on our website. If you go to fnirevival.com and downloads, we have something called Cleansing Land and Homes that kind of walk you through it. But it's important. And I, I've talked to many people that have come to me about moving into a new place and it seemed difficult to sleep and pray and something went quite right. And I told them to pray through that. They did. And they said the change was remarkable. So just be careful because there can be things in your home and in your life that can affect you. But God wants us to clean all that out. How many knows that God wants there to be an open heaven over our homes and the glory in our homes? Amen. So a cursed object is the Strong's 8441 Taubab, which is something disgusting, abhorrence, an idol, or an abomination. It's something defiled. Remember what we open with. There's things that can defile people, defile nations, defile land. There are things that can defile a home. So be careful to keep things out of your home that can defile it. And just remember, God's called us to be intercessors. Our prayers, we can go into the courts of heaven and say, Father, I come representing my family, all my living relatives, and I humble myself and ask your forgiveness. Lord, we've been prideful and rebellious and stubborn. We've gone after other gods. We've sinned before you, and you can just go through all these sins. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, that you would hear from heaven and forgive us, Lord, and come heal this landscape of our family, Lord. Open them up into salvation. Grant repentance and pray into that, and God will hear prayers like that, and he'll come down and heal the land, okay? All right, so the courtroom is the key. <clears throat> As intercessors, we can go into the courts of heaven, and we can be intercessors that will legally cause the enemy to be bound up and cause God to begin to move in a mighty way in our family. Did y'all hear that? Did you know our prayers can cause the enemy to be bound from your family? And God will begin to move mightily in that family. Remember Moses and Aaron. Remember how God used them as intercessors. Even when the children of Israel sinned and God released a plague, you remember how Aaron ran through the camp with that incense burning, running through, and the plague stopped. You remember how God was angry with the golden calf situation, and God meant it. God said, Moses... I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you. What did Moses? Moses could have said, okay. But Moses said, oh, God, please don't. Have mercy. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Have mercy. And God relented, and God heard Moses' prayers. He dealt with the heathen that, that worshiped the golden calf, but, but God was merciful. See, our prayers, remember that. Remember Abraham went before God, and God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, Lord, if you, it ended up, you know the story, if you just find 10 righteous, but Abraham's prayers would have saved that entire region if there could have just been 10. Don't tell me that your prayers as a righteous, remember, James said this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed and the heavens shut up for three years 
prayed again and it rained. And he said, the prayers of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Your prayers are powerful. You can cleanse land through your prayers and homes and family bloodlines. God will honor your prayers that he will push back the tides of darkness, bind up the enemy, and send revival and heal the land because of our prayers, okay? All right. Well, Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over this uh, sermon. And Lord, I just pray, help us to learn from it. Lord, you've called us to be intercessors. Our prayers, Lord, can, can restrain the enemy. Our prayers can cause our, the enemy to be bound and cause the enemy to be driven away and can release great revival in our lives, our families, in our region. Lord, our prayers can open the heavens and shut the gates of hell. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire people to be powerful intercessors in these last days because we need prayer warriors. And Lord, I thank you for this sermon. Let this time be sealed in you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.